Go ahead and turn in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians. We're going to be reading this morning uh, chapter 5, verses 17 through 21. And I invite Sean um, up to read for us this morning. Um, she's going to be reading out of God's Word. And so would you please, if you're able, stand with me out of respect for God's Word. Um, we do this because of um, the importance of God's Word, because we believe that it is His words. It's not Sean's Word or my Word. It's God's Word. And so uh, we want to uh, show it the respect that it, it deserves. And so, Sean, I'll pass it off to you. 2 Corinthians. Good morning, church family. 2 Corinthians 5, 17 through 21. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the word, world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Church, hear the word of the Lord, and you may be seated. Amen. Pray with me one more time. Father, what a beautiful uh, revelation you've given to us in this text. Uh, to be reminded of the gospel, that we have been reconciled. What a wonderful treasure that is. Lord, I just, I pray that as we talk through this text this morning, uh, Father, that you would give me words to just be able to uh, share your heart um, that you're expressing in this, Lord, it is so profound, so wonderful, so beautiful. I know that words will fall short, but we know that where words fall short, your spirit doesn't. Um, and so we, we need him this morning. Guide us, direct us into your truth. Uh, Father, we pray and ask these things in your name. Amen. So in 2 Corinthians, I love this section of, of what Paul's writing to the church in Corinth because what he's really doing is he's anchoring the people of Corinth in something that we've even been talking about as we've been talking about um, what it means to be faithful. And even in this sermon series, we know we began this whole sermon series with uh, what we felt was an anchor, which was the faithfulness of God. And we really see that in what Paul is communicating here in 2 Corinthians, um, God's faithfulness to save. That God has purpose to save, that God has purpose to reconcile a people for himself, and that's exactly what he has done. That while we were enemies, God sent Jesus to die on the cross for us. Like This is a gospel text, and it's reminding us of this glorious gift that we have been granted in and through Jesus and his work and his death and resurrection. But from that and in this, Paul, though, is also establishing for us as people of God, a, a universal call, a, a function, or an identity, if you will. The expectation that we as the people of God would be faithful to share what we have been given. That we be faithful to share our faith, to be faithful to share the good news that has been given to us. And, and so that's what we're going to be talking about today, but I want to make sure that it's anchored in the idea of being faithful to uh, share our faith and to share the gospel is anchored in the truths that Paul is talking about. And so here are three truths that are found in this text that the idea of sharing our faith has to be anchored to. One, we're new creations. Amen? Like the old has gone on, the old has passed on, and we are new creations, completely new. Second, we are reconciled to God through Jesus. 
that, that word reconciliation is such a beautiful and profound word, right? Like there was a broken relationship and we've been reconciled back to God through Jesus, his son. And three, how does he do that? Because of Jesus, our trespasses are not counted against us. Right, listen, I don't know about you. That statement is music to my ears. That my trespasses are not gonna be counted against me because I, I oftentimes feel like Paul, like they are always before me. Like my sins seem to always be before me, and yet we can always be reminded of these truths that because of Jesus, our trespasses are not counted against us. He has reconciled us to God um, in his work, and we are new creations, amen? We don't have to live according to those sinful things anymore. And so this is the truth, and we want to abide in these truths and, and, and live in accordance with the realities that these truths hold us to. But here is also what this reminds us. If we believe this, and we acknowledge these truths to be something we hold to, then we are no longer ours, are we? Our lives are not ours to live. Our lives are his to direct. We are bought. We are redeemed. We are reconciled at a price. This is so important. It's so vital for us. Because when we look at the universal call for us to be faithful, to share the gospel, if it isn't anchored to these truths, then I fear that this identity that we are called to have, I fear that we will falsely believe that it's something that's optional. That it's something that we can kind of choose to pick up or lay down depending on uh, our giftings or what we feel is important for that particular day. But, but what Paul is saying here, and we'll get into the depths of this, is that this isn't optional. If these are truths that you believe to be the case about you because of the work of Jesus Christ, then you are called to share your faith. Period. Like you are called to bear witness to the work that Jesus has done. And that's what we want to talk about. Now, before I do, I want to illustrate something. And many of you know what this is. Um, this is my passport. I got to hold on to this because um, hopefully I, I get to go to Kenya this summer. Um, with my daughter, but this is my passport. Now, if you know, if you have one of these, um, like this is an amazing little document because this allows you to do a lot of things that a lot of people in this world cannot do. Like this document opens up a lot of the world to us as Americans. Like if you have this, you can go to almost anywhere in this world and not have fear of challenges of being able to get back in. And not only do you have the ability to, to, to have this document that protects you in so many ways, but in so many places, you also have the privileges of embassies where you can go to. If you need help, you can call upon all kinds of different privileges as it means of you being a citizen of our country. And then not only do you get to go anywhere you want with this passport, but this passport guarantees you get to get back in, right? Which is nice. Why? It's nice. Because we all know, like, this is a pretty good country to live in. Does it have its problems? Yes. With all those problems, every one of our team members in Kenya are still going to be glad to be home, right? Because we have general rule and law. We have nice roads for the most part. Right? We, we've, got, we, we've got the ability to call a fire department if your house catches on fire, or police departments. We've got all kinds of wonderful amenities. We have sewage systems and water and all kinds of stuff. That's the benefit of being a citizen of this country. Right? It's a benefit of being a citizen of this country. And your passport says that that's who you are. And yet, 
Isn't it crazy that we would even think about saying, I would love to maintain all these benefits. I definitely want to be able to come back into this country. I want to have all those different things, but I refuse to pay taxes. I know one of you all wish you could refuse to pay taxes, but the fact of the matter is, right, like we can't have all that without those taxes. Like they help pay for those things. Now you may disagree with how they're used and all kinds of stuff, but the point is, is that being a citizen requires that you participate in certain components of this society, like taxes and voting and making sure we have good leaders in place. And so here's the thing, like, like this is the aspect of that. You're a citizen, and with the benefits of that citizenship comes certain expectations. And this is very similar with what Jesus is communicating, or Paul is communicating to us in 2 Corinthians. Look again, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. So here, right here, that's your citizenship, right? Like you're a new creation. You've been brought into the kingdom of God. Um, brothers and sisters, you're new, all new. New spirit, new purpose, new focus, new, new righteousness. You're new, new everything, new Lord in your life. And here's the next thing. The old is past, behold, the new has come. All of this is from God. All of it's from God. Who through Christ reconciled us to himself, reconciled us to himself. He brought us back into relationship with him. This is the blood of his covenant, right? This is how we, how we come back into that relationship. He pays our debt. We come back into relationship with the Lord as we put our trust in Jesus and say he's now our Lord of our lives. We have now been reconciliated or re- reconciled. But here's what else it says. What else does he then go on to do? He gives us our salvation, but he also gives us the ministry of reconciliation. He gave us the ministry of of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God is making his appeal through who? Us. We implore you, on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. As a result, of our given salvation, he also is giving us a service or ministry of reconciliation. You are an ambassador for Jesus. This is who you are. It's what you're called to do. We don't have the luxury of saying, like, thanks, thanks for the reconciliation. Thanks for the salvation. Thanks for not counting my trespasses against me. The whole ministry of reconciliation piece, I'm going to go ahead and leave that aside. Like, we don't, we don't get to say that. We don't get to say, like, I'll take the forgiveness of my sins, but I'm going to pass on the whole calling piece. Like, I don't really feel equipped for that. Like, I don't really feel good enough for that. So I'm just going to, like, leave that to the side. That's not what this text tells us. It's like you've been given a ministry of reconciliation. It's your calling. It's who you are. So this is what we want to talk about. We want to talk about these things. Because if you are in Christ, the question isn't if you will fulfill these things. The question is, how? How are you going to fulfill the ministry of reconciliation that God has given to you? 
So we're going to start there, the ministry of reconciliation. I'm actually going to call it service of reconciliation. Uh, I think service is a better word to reflect the meaning of the Greek word, and it captures the reality of the call. It's a service. It's not a ministry like what I do in ministry. It's not a vocation. Like It's a service uh, because of the reconciliation that you have. Paul gives us an example for this work, and it is the reconciler himself, Jesus. He was the first one that took on the service of reconciliation. And that's the characteristics, of, and it's his characteristics that we need to follow. Like, like God sent Jesus to be the first one to take on the service of reconciliation. So when we look to Jesus, how does he carry out this service of reconciliation? Well, first and foremost, we see that it's active. He came to us. He took on flesh. He became Emmanuel, God with us. So whatever our service of reconciliation looks like, it has to be active and in proximity to those who are in need. It's not about trying to make ourselves more attractive to the world so that they might be drawn to us, but it's actively taking the fullness of the gospel and the new life that we've all been given and going and taking it to them. It's active. It's not passive. We have to be moving and acting. Second, his reconciliation was toward the sinner, not the righteous. We need to have our eyes peeled, always looking for those people in our vicinity and in our world that are far from God. Why? Because that's the heart Jesus had. Luke 19. Why did Jesus come? He came to seek and save the lost. He didn't just passively sit, right? There's the active part. He came to seek and save the lost. This is messy, isn't it? Like it's messy when we go to the lost. I think sometimes we'd like to, to think that we can go and care for the lost, the people that are the most entrenched in sin, most dealing with the consequences of sin, most, most uh, addressing the sin all kinds of indwelled in their own being and think that we can keep it from being messy, not going to happen. Think of your life before you knew Jesus. How messy was it? It was messy. It's messy for us to go to the people who are in need, but that's exactly what Jesus did, and exactly what we're supposed to do. In the book, Something Needs to Change, David Platt writes this. He says, we need to dare to come face to face with desperate need in the world around us and ask God to do a work deep within us that we could never manufacture, manipulate, or make happen on our own. Here's what David is saying. It's easy for us to turn away from desperate need, isn't it? Like, it's easy for us to see desperate need and want to like look away and not jump into it. Like we're masters at creating kind of comfort bubbles that protect us from the brokenness and sin and difficulty that's all over the place in this world, right? Like it's one of the beauties of what's happening in Kenya right now is we have men and women who have decided to look straight into the face of need. And you know what? That creates some anxiety in us sometimes. Because it, it is messy, and we don't know what that's going to feel like, and what we need to be recognized, we need to, as ambassadors, dare to look into the face of need and then ask the Lord to give us the compassion that he had for those people. Not before they're fixed, or before they're fixed, not after they're fixed. Not, not, not after they've be, got everything back together again, and their lives are, are clean and healthy and great. Like, no, no, in the midst of their mess to have compassion for them. This is what it 
look like for Jesus? So what it should look like for us. Third, as we talked about before, like it, re- it requires sacrifice. To make his reconciling work available, to provide a way so that our trespasses wouldn't be counted against us, Jesus had to die. I love verse 21. For your sake he made him who knew no sin. Jesus laid his rights as the perfect son of God down and took our sin upon his shoulders so that we might have the righteousness of God. He laid his life down. To be like Jesus and to enter into the same kind of service of reconciliation requires that we would sacrifice because we are to be the embodied present reality of Jesus' sacrificial love to those around us. You are his hands and his feet, church. That's what he's called us to. This is his heart. And to refuse to enter into this is like saying that we want the benefit of his heart towards us, but we don't want to adopt his heart. We don't want him to change our heart to make our hearts look like his. Like We just want the benefit of his. But he is entrusting us with his heart. That's what Paul says. He's entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God is making his appeal through us. We've been given this message. He's entrusted it to us. Therefore, we are ambassadors. Now, we're pretty familiar with what an ambassador is. We know that an ambassador is a legal representative of some political authority who sends them into some other space. But here's what we recognize that an ambassador is not a title, it's a function. That's important because you don't take on the title of ambassador, you're given the function of an ambassador. You're sent to a foreign land to take a message with an authority that is given to you, something that you can offer. In this particular case, reconciliation to any and all people who we come in contact with. We can't refuse this function. It's been given to us. Not if you are a new creation, you are a new creation. Like his name is on you. You bear his name whether you want to or not. He has given you a message and he has sent you out with an appeal, an appeal to others to be reconciled. Like my kids, they bear my name whether they want to or not. Like, in some respects, my kids are ambassadors for the McClintock name, whether they want to or not. Now, we may say that's not fair. We may say, well, that's a big weight for them to carry. But isn't it true that if my kids do something stupid, it reflects on me? It reflects on my wife. It reflects on the name. If my kids do things that are good, like, it reflects on our name. Like, they carry the name of McClintock. But even more than that, they carry the name of Jesus. And we all who have put our faith in Jesus, carry the name of Jesus, whether you want to or not. You don't have to put one of the little fish on the back of your car. Like, you already carry his name because he's put it upon you. You're sealed by it. You can't refuse to bear his name if you are a believer in Jesus Christ. It's on you. It's a function that you hold. When we send an American citizen as an ambassador to another country, they go in the name of the authority of the one who is sending them. They reflect upon the one who is sending them, whether they want to or not. It's who they are. Now, it's true, they can be a bad ambassador, can't they? 
They can reflect negatively upon the one who sent them. They could refuse to communicate the message that they were given to take to that country. Or worse than that, they could communicate the wrong message, right? So they can be very bad ambassadors. They can even seek to try to represent their own authority instead of the one who sent them. They can try and represent their own agendas instead of the agenda of the one who sent them. So they can be bad ambassadors, but they're an ambassador when they go into that space. Are you a good ambassador or a bad ambassador? Are you worried about your agenda or his agenda? Are you carrying your name or his name? Are you communicating your message or his message? Are you living in a way that he has called you to or a way that you want to live? Because you are an ambassador. Now, there's some good things about being an ambassador. How does God view an ambassador? Well, we... Sorry, that's a a note. We know that it's a pleasing to him, right? Look what he says about us. How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who publishes peace, who brings good news of happiness, who publishes salvation, who says, Zion, your God reigns. Like this is pleasing to him. Like it is beautiful to God. You know why I love this? Because I oftentimes get so worried about whether or not I'm gonna do something right or wrong But here's the thing, any effort we make in the power of the Spirit of God, any effort that we've prayed through and we bring in truth, right? So it needs to be the clear gospel, but anything we bring in truth is beautiful to him. And I love that. I love that he smiles upon my most embarrassing, stumbling, and bumbling moments of trying to communicate the gospel of Jesus Christ to somebody. Like, aren't you? Like, I'm glad you don't have to go to seminary to be able to communicate the gospel. You just need to bear witness to what he's done in your life, and it pleases him. He smiles when you do it. He's even smiling at Todd's dancing, which, well, I guess we all smiled at it, but for different reasons, maybe. Like, he smiles at it, right? Like, he, he loves it when we take on the message that he's given to us and we step out and we carry that message to the people that he wants to reconcile into himself. So ambassadors are pleasing to God. But we also, as ambassadors, need to function in the fear of God, but not fear. Now, let me explain that statement. I say this because Paul tells us in verse 11 that knowing the fear of God, of the Lord, we will persuade others. This comes from two different places. One, and I know this makes us uncomfortable, but there should be a healthy fear of the one we represent. A healthy fear. He is holy, and he is God, and he sits upon the throne, and he is beyond any of us. And every time someone in the word of God sees him, what do they do? They fall on their face, terrified. Because he is that majestic. And he is that awesome. And we have so tried to make him our friend, which he is, that we have missed that he is also awesome. And we should be afraid, not in a sense of terror in our boots, because we know there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Jesus Christ, amen? But a fear of recognizing, like a loving father who, who cares for us and yet at times still disciplines us. Like we should, we should carry out our mission with a healthy fear of God. 
It helps keep us zealous. It helps helps keep us faithful. It helps make sure that what we say is clear. But secondly, from a clear understanding of the fear of the Lord, we also recognize, brothers and sisters, do you recognize that those that are outside of the reconciling work of Jesus Christ will come face to face with the judge one day? Do you know the fear of God in such a way that you recognize that they will stand before him and Jesus will not be between them and they will have to be underneath the condemnation and wrath of God? Should that not drive us to want to proclaim the gospel to those who do not have it? Do we not want them saved? I know many of you have family members and loved ones and friends that you want to know Jesus Christ. Like We should be reminded that they will come face to face with the judge. Regardless of that, we know that there's also a fear that comes from us of opposition and rejection and failure, a fear from the world. But the Lord tells us, In verses like Deuteronomy, be strong and courageous, do not fear or be in dread of them. For it is the Lord your God who goes with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. This is why Jesus says when he gives the commission to the disciples to go and make disciples of all nations, he says, Lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. But is it not true that our fear of others and the consequences from the world is what keeps us silent more often than not? Like, this is one thing I know. Like, it does not matter how many times you have shared your faith. It does not matter how many times you have told somebody else about Jesus. The next time is still terrifying. Isn't it? Like, it's still scary. Like, it's still hard. Like, there's a discomfort there. But here's the thing. We should not fear this world. We are to, we are to be bold We are to be unashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Why? Because of those truths that we hold to. Because he doesn't count our our, our transgressors against us. Because we've been reconciled. Because we've been made new creations. And so we have nothing to fear from this world, even if they take our lives. We should be bold. Next, as ambassadors, we need to be ambassadors by the power of the Holy Spirit. It's his word. It's not yours. It's his equipping. It's not yours. It's his power. It's not yours. It's his authority, not yours. We, I think so often, can be paralyzed because we think we're just not theologians. We're not going to have questions to every, or answers to every question that's asked to us. That we don't have the perfect words. You don't have to have the perfect words. You need to have the Spirit's words given to you in that moment. The gospel goes forth the most powerfully through broken humble, submitted vessels empowered by the Spirit of God. And he promises us in Luke 12, for the Holy Spirit's going to teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. Do you believe this? Like, like is he sufficient? Or, or, do you need, or do you need more education? Like, he says he's sufficient. I believe he is. He, he's got you if you step out in faith. There's a guy named Alan Creeder, and he wrote a great book called The Patient Ferment of the Early Church. And what it does is it, it looks at the church in its most growing season from the early apostles on to about the 5th century. And he says that in that season, when it was growing the most, there's really, apart from maybe two names, very few that you would recognize. 
And he makes this quote, and I love it. He says, there was no missionary societies at that period. There was no parachurch missions agencies. The bearers of the faith are nameless. There are no iconic missionary heroes or heroines, no self-conscious successors to Paul. Nameless ambassadors. I could not be more encouraged that during one of the greatest times of the expansion of the church in the history of the world, it was nameless men and women. Blacksmiths, farmers, mothers, husbands, nameless people. They weren't the greats. They weren't the Elijahs and the Jeremiahs and the Isaiahs. They were nameless people who just were faithful with the message wherever God planted them. He worked through them. Uneducated people, mind you. Some of them couldn't even read the scriptures. And yet the Spirit of God worked in them in such a massive way that the most pagan empire the world has probably ever known became mostly Christian in just a few hundred years because of nameless people. I believe we have lost the confidence in the Spirit to use the weak and nameless for the glory of God. He has given us His Spirit. Next, as ambassadors, we should be controlled by love. We go as recipients of the greatest love that anybody could ever give us. We love because we have been loved. Chapter 5, verse 14. For the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. If we dare to look upon the needs of others, their physical needs, their emotional needs, their spiritual needs, and we do not recognize God's desire to express his tangible, tangible, embodied love to those people through us, then we are missing the reality that brought us salvation. It is because of the love of God that he sent his son. It is because, of, it is because God wanted to manifest his love for you that he sent his son. Jesus was the manifest love of the Father towards us, tangibly, visibly, and verbally, which is why we must be faithful to share in both word and deed. We cannot preach only. We must also, with our preach, represent what is true about God and his care and his compassion and his love. Now, what does that look like? Well, I could give you a whole list of things that you could do, but I actually wanted to show you a little clip uh, out of a movie. We were watching uh, the newest remake of Little Women during Christmas, and um, I was thinking about this message during that time frame, and there's this little scene in that movie that I think represents this in such a beautiful way. And so I want you to watch this just two minutes of uh, the movie uh, Little Women. I love that clip because it represents so many aspects of the calling we have to share our faith. I love that they're sitting there at the Christmas table and, and the mom says, girls, would you take your meal? You know what it's like? It's like Jesus is always saying, hey kids, would you give your time? Would you, would you give your, your money? Would you, would you give your talents? 
hey kids, would you just open your mouths and proclaim the gospel? Would you open up your homes and proclaim the gospel? And, and I feel like so often we feel the discomfort like those girls did around the table, but you know what our response should be? It should be, this is when you tell me that this is what our Father would want. Like that's the driving force, right? Like this is, this is when you tell us that this is what Father would want. And then they go. And I love the imagery. I don't know if you caught it or not, but as they're going to take the food to the family, um, I don't know if you notice what they walk by, but they walk by the church. And on Christmas morning, you have all these people that are going into the church. They're representing being the church. Like, coming to church is important. It's awesome. It's amazing. We should be here every single week. I genuinely believe that. Or even when it's raining outside, so good for you, right? But, but we don't come to church. We are the church. Like, we're called to be out there being the church in the places it's the hardest. And the other part I love about that scene is they all go into the space, and you can see on their face, like, they're all kind of uncomfortable, and they don't really know what to do with it. Like, y'all ever feel that way when you step into places that you're not used to? And you just kind of don't know what to say, and you kind of get uncomfortable. But then there's this beautiful thing that happens when we step into obedience with what God has called us to. Joy. Joy. Because you have, you have entered into the service and ministry of reconciliation that God has called you into. They were being willing to take upon themselves in that clip the ministry of reconciliation and go as ambassadors, and they found the love of God. And you know, it's amazing. Whenever we step into that, whatever it looks like in the specifics of your day, like God will be there with you and he will be pleased by it. We need to proclaim that love. Don't just be about giving deeds or, or, or performing deeds, but, but proclaim the love of Jesus. But the question is, are we doing this daily? God, what do you want from me as your ambassador today? So a couple things. What can we do? First and foremost, pray. Like it starts there, doesn't it? Like you pray, ask the Spirit to move, ask the Spirit to guide you, to direct you, to help you, to give you words to, to give you ideas and thoughts, and you pray, 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 pray. Pray that the Lord would open up the eyes of those that you love that you want to see come to faith in Jesus Christ. You pray, and then you anchor yourself to the truths that God has given to you, and then you step out. You step out. That's just what I want to call you to. And as I call you to that today, and as we leave today, uh, I want to also provide some resources for you. One, um, I want you to be excited because here in about a month, we're going to be um, communicating some things to you from um, what we call our local outreach team. We put this team together. Um, Tucker Davis and Donnie have been working with this team um, and put it together. It's the local outreach team. We're calling it the LOT. I guess we like an acronym, so we're going to go with that. Uh, but they're working on some ideas, ways that we can go out of this building and reach the lost within this community. And we're going to be launching some of those um, here in the days ahead. But today, um, you got out in the lobby. We've got a table talking about His Helping Hands, which is a phenomenal ministry of this church that reaches out to meet the needs of some of the people that need the gospel the most. And so if you want to volunteer there or you want to get to more information about what His Helping Hands does, but it's a great ministry. We've also got a table out there uh, about a disciple-making class that Lewis Erickson is putting forward. And here's that simple way that is and what that is. It's an opportunity to teach you how to walk people in and through 
um, uh, becoming disciples, right? It's just a simple way to help you be equipped to do that. And so he's offering that class. Um, I actually think it starts tomorrow, and so you can get information there. But there's also some other resources out there. Obviously, don't forget to take the, the takeaways as you walk out the building or out the doors because there's some information there that can help propel you. But if you want to know, man, I, I want to make sure I'm fulfilled with the gospel, that I know the gospel. We've got little pamphlets that just explain what the gospel is. Like, don't overcomplicate it, okay? Like, Jesus came, he died for our sins so that we could be made the righteousness of God, was raised to new life, validating that it's going to happen for us, and now he's our Lord because we trust him. Like, I know it's a super simple version of the gospel, but you can communicate what God has done to you. Also, um, we've got another card, an little orange one, if you ever want to know like, uh, how you could lead someone as a new believer um, into discipleship, some super simple, easy ways. Maybe you're a new believer, and you don't know what steps to take, and you're like, man, I want to be faithful to what God's called me to, but I don't know what that looks like. Pick up one of these orange cards. So these things are available out there for you. I want to encourage you to take some step. Pray about it. Ask the Lord. I can't tell you how to be faithful to be his ambassador because I'm not the one sending you. He is. Ask him. If you ask him, he'll tell you. And he'll open up the doors for you. And so ask him. Ask him today because we've been reconciled. Pray with me. Father, thank you for the ministry that you've given to us. Lord, sometimes we see it as a fearful thing. I, I know I see it sometimes as a fearful thing. I think sometimes we see it as something that we should uh, kind of, we don't know what to do or how it's going to work out, but Lord, you have called us into it, and it can be so joyful as we enter into the calling you've given to us. And we enter into your heart, which is to want to reconcile the nations to yourself. And not just the nations, our neighbors, our grocery store clerks, our baristas at Starbucks, the people that are making our food in the restaurants. Father, you want us to make an appeal to them that they might be reconciled. So Father, fill our, our minds with ideas on how we can step into those places, mowing our neighbor's lawn, bringing them cookies, bringing them a meal, inviting them into a Bible study, serving at his helping hands, going to embrace her choices and, and working with women that are in pregnancy crisis situations, going to the union rescue mission. Lord, you send us out. But Lord, I pray that you would help us to be faithful. Faithful to your calling. And Lord, we would be, be able to see fruit come from our faithfulness to share this wonderful good news that you've given to us. We pray and ask these things in your name.